98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. It's Arizona Sports Saturday. Live from the auction, community studios, Mitch Morales, Zach Larson, Trevor Henry behind the glass. Head out now to the Arizona Sports Line and what I imagine is the... Um, the Phoenix Zoo as well. To check in with our Arizona Cardinals insider for ArizonaSports.com, Tyler Drake, who joins us here right now. So am I correct in my assumption that you are at the zoo or finished up a trip to the zoo this morning? Uh, I did finish up a trip to the zoo. Had to get the steps in, you know. Had to get, uh, had to get ready for Sunday. <laughs> had to get the steps in. All right. So what was, the, what was the standout animal today real quick? The standout animal. I'd have to say the giraffes, man. They were Ooh. right there. Oh, and a couple of pelicans, man, actually showed up like right on the trail. They they're pelicans. not really uh in, they're not enclosed, so that was pretty neat. Ah, okay. <laughs> I'll take I'll take your word for it. Now now I just want to go to the zoo. That much I do know. I do also know that it'll be quite a zoo of a crown. You see what I did there? This Sunday when the Rams come to State Farm Stadium. What on a base level, what is your expectation for this game? Uh, you know, I think it's going to be closer than a lot of people are kind of going into it just because the Rams have a lot of vulnerabilities. And, and really, if you look at the injuries and the people that are already out, I would say that the Cardinals have a really good chance at, you know, riding a lot of wrongs from that playoff loss. I know that's, that's a lot to say, but at the end of the day, I think this is the next step in, hey, like getting that bad taste out of their mouths from that loss if, if they can really pull this out. And I think they have a really good opportunity. You know, Stafford's thrown, I think, five interceptions, and I think he leads the league in picks. So mm-hmm. they've really got to just capitalize on the turnovers, capitalize on the mistakes, and, and it really could swing their way. And Tyler, you mentioned the Rams' dominance, obviously 10 of 11 for Sean McVay winning over the Cardinals. They, the Cardinals needed some swagger going into this week, and obviously Sunday, the big overtime win, comeback win over the Raiders. Was there a different vibe in practice throughout the week that you saw compared to last week after the loss to the Kansas City Chiefs? Yeah, you know, I think there was a little bit of a, of a, you know, a sigh of relief that, hey, you know, they did figure things out. But at the same time, you could tell that they were really focused, you know, really getting into just the nuts and bolts of practice. So we'll, we'll see if that translates into anything. But I would say from the first week of practice to now, there's definitely a shift. And I think after that, uh, definitely after that loss, you could, you could tell that they really uh, were trying to nail down everything. And, and now it's, you, you can tell that there's that they're, they're holding their heads a little bit higher. But at the same time, I think they're really still uh, making sure that they're getting all the details down for this week three game because they know it's, I mean, they just have to look back not that long ago to see the result after the last time they played the Rams. So I think they all understand the importance of this game. Tyler Drake, our Arizona Cardinals insider for ArizonaSports.com, joining us here on the Arizona Sports Line. So I'm looking at the injury report and only three names, and I'm almost kind of relieved because it feels like this team is as healthy as it's been all year. And granted, they're going to have way more guys come back after week four is done. But is, is that sentiment shared? Like, is this team finally healthy in not just your eyes, but their eyes as well? Yeah, yeah, you know, it does. It, it was, uh, I think this is probably the cleanest uh, injury report we have so far this season. So definitely a good sign. And it sounds like, you know, there's going to be reinforcements coming soon, whether that's Trayvon Mullen playing this week or next week, Rondell Moore either playing next week or the week after. So there, there is a couple, and Antonio Hamilton too. You know, he seems like he might be on that trajectory of, of playing sooner rather than later. So uh, and you can't rule out Antoine Wesley, too. He's coming back off IR as well. So 
uh, there's a lot of guys that are going to get back. So I think it only helps them moving forward. And, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really good to see, especially after all of the injury issues they had, not it just entering week one alone. But entering this week three matchup with the Rams, still without DeAndre Hopkins with the six-game suspension, we mentioned Rondell Moore. He's going to be out for this game. Do you see the Cardinals still sticking with the same game plan as they went into with week one trying to throw the ball more? Or do you see more of how the Cardinals played the second half against the Raiders where Kyler started to implement a little more with his legs? Yeah, yeah, I'd say definitely you got to look at the second half over uh, <clears throat> against the Raiders over anything else right now. I think that's the standard that they want to go off of and improve upon. Uh, I would say if uh, there's two big things. I mean, really, I think you have to limit Aaron Donald's production, which means get the ball out quick, get the ball out. I mean, let the receivers do the work, uh, and I think they can do that. Greg Dortch, Zach Ertz are two guys that I, uh, that I pinpointed this week that I think could really impact this game just because – they can get open right away. They can get the ball out of Kyler's hands and, and away from Aaron Donald. And then the second one is really, I mean, the, the, the game they won last season against the Rams, they ran the rock a lot, and, and they had a lot of success. I think they ran it 40 times for 216 yards and I think a pair of touchdowns. And that alone right there, I mean, if they can really set the tone in the run game, don't give Matthew Stafford any – like just give him limited time to really do anything, that's really going to pay off too. So – I think if they can really work in, you know, the dink and dunks, I know everybody doesn't like that. I know Kyler's averaging like 3.7 yards per completed or per air yards per completion, something like that. So I know that that needs to improve, but at the same time, you know, that might be the solution to, to really getting ahead of this Rams team and really uh, putting some points on the board in a hurry. But definitely, definitely running game, I think, is going to be huge in this one. Tyler Drake, our Arizona Cardinals insider, joining us here on the Arizona Sports Line. So you mentioned the run game. The name of note, I guess, this week on the injury report is James Conner, who will be a game-time decision. But as we all know, this team prepared for it with a very deep running back room. So who, in your opinion, do you think will be relied on more in the running game? Do you think it'll be the running backs? Or do you think perhaps it'll be the man who gets snapped the ball? Uh, you know, I think, I mean, I think if they want to have a successful game, I think it's going to have to come down to the running backs and then have Kyler, you know, pick and choose his spots. If James Conner is good to go, you know, obviously that's the guy that they want to get the ball to, but right. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't very shocked with what Eno and Daryl did. I mean, those guys really came in and played well in place of James Conner. So if it comes down to, Hey, you know, maybe James Conner's still not a hundred percent. They need to go to the other guys. I think they've got the I think they've got the bodies to really impact the game behind him, and then it's just really going to come down to Kyler picking his, picking and choosing his moments like he did last week. All right, I'm going to flip to the defensive side of the ball, and I'm going to go to the two linebackers that have been the topic of all offseason, Isaiah Simmons and Zayvon Collin, both making plays in overtime that led to the Cardinals' win. How do you see them squaring up against the Rams in this upcoming matchup? Yeah, you know, I think uh, I think this will say a lot about Zavin. Uh, I think after what we saw last week with him getting the green dot and really, you know, helping that defense kind of turn it around in the second half, I think giving him the green dot once again and seeing what he can do with it, that's just another step in his trajectory. Uh, you know, outside of that, I would say uh, just he's just got to play fast and he can't be thinking too much. Uh, with Isaiah, I mean, I think it's just play more than 15, show, show everybody that you, you deserve to play more than 15 plays. And I think from everything that we've heard from Vance and Cliff this week, that's definitely something that he's done with just his practice habits. But until we see him out there and playing more than 15 snaps, that's, I think it remains to be seen. And obviously he's one of their best players on, on defense. That's plain and simple. I mean, he said it himself, like 
he wants to make sure that when he's out there, he's the best player on the field. So maybe this, uh, maybe last week was a little wake up call for him, and maybe he's he's uh, turned a turned a new leaf or, or whatever whatever happened during that last week of practice, and, and is ready to go. And I think just from talking to him, he sounds he he sounds determined to prove a lot of people wrong and, and say that he deserves to be on there out on the field every snap. Last one for Tyler Drake, and then we'll let you get back to business. Uh, I'm curious. Because this game in itself kind of has like a massive, if not two massive monkeys to get off the Cardinals back. One is this home losing streak of six consecutive games. And then the other, Zach mentioned earlier, is the 10 of 11 losses against Sean McVay's Rams. They have a chance to knock off both. Will that be enough to convince you that this Cardinals team is headed back on track? I think so. I think uh, this is, yeah, I mean, I think this is the this is the big brother of the NFC West right now for the Cardinals. And if they can really land that haymaker without DeAndre Hopkins, I think that's just going to be a huge boost going into next week and, and, and moving forward until they can get him back. So, you know, if, yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of statements made if they can really come in and, uh, or come into State Farm Stadium and really show that, hey, we're not, we're not still living with the ghost of, last playoffs like we've actually turned a new a new page and and we're going to exploit the rams for what they are and and it's very doable it's just can they go out there and start fast because i think if they don't start fast against this rams team i don't care what the rams are doing i think this rams is the i think mcveigh is going to exploit them big time so they've really just got to come out and really just hit the ground running be sure to check out his work on ArizonaSports.com. You can follow him on Twitter at TDrake4Sports. And then be sure to check his latest Cardinals Corner podcast after the game on Sunday. Tyler, thanks so much for the time. Really appreciate it. No problem, guys. Have a good one. Tyler Drake, our ArizonaSports.com Cardinals insider, joining us here on the program. So we've had a lot of MLB news come down recently, and I kind of wanted to spearhead this next segment, Zach. Is what the Seattle Mariners are doing... Something for the Diamondbacks to follow. I'll explain next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports goes local. It's Arizona Sports Saturday, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Mitch Vareldis, Zach Larson filling in for Steve Zinsmeister today. Trevor Henry behind the glass here in the Auction Community Studios. We've got a little over an hour left of this edition of Arizona Sports Saturday. Uh, Remember, like we did last week, we're going to stay on an extra half hour to catch the Cardinals' final transactions heading into Sunday. So we'll bring those to you live when they come down sometime in the 1 p.m. segment. But what I mentioned going into the break was something that the Seattle Mariners did. And I kind of want the Diamondbacks, and whether you agree or disagree, Zach, I'm curious to find out. I want the Diamondbacks to kind of follow this model. So really quickly, for those that are unaware, here's what just happened with Seattle. They extended right-handed pitcher Luis Castillo. Five-year extension. It has an option for a sixth year. The reported numbers on that contract is $108 million for the five years. And if they take the sixth year, it bumps to $133 million. The thing about Luis Castillo is that he had one more year of arbitration left. And then he would have headed into unrestricted free agency the year after that. So the Mariners basically ate those years and they said, you know what? We like you so much. We want to keep you. And I made this exact same argument when they signed Julio Rodriguez about what they should do with Corbin Carroll. And now I'm going to make the same argument as to why the Diamondbacks should do the exact same thing with Zach Gallen. And I'm curious 
to know what you think about that. I think, yes, any way you can make sure that Zach Gallen stays in a Diamondbacks uniform is absolutely essential. And if that's the road they're going to have to take, then that's the road they need to take. Because this is a pitcher who is almost as good as Brandon Whip, actually better than Brandon Webb, had the scoreless Literally. inning streak. <laughs> it's, or he has his own spot in Arizona Diamondbacks history. And I think Brandon Webb, unfortunately, he had the injury take his career off the rails and just never was able to pitch again. But with Zach Gallen, I hopefully, fingers crossed, that he's going to continue to play as dominant as he has. Right. He is your ace for the future, and you need to make sure he's locked up and he stays in Arizona for as long as possible. He's also pretty soon, I, no disrespect to Merrill, but Merrill's, Merrill Kelly's 33 years old. Madison Bumgarner is 33 years old. Eventually, Zach Allen is going to be the man at the top of the rotation. He's going to be the veteran presence in this rotation when, you know, Tommy Henry calms down and stops allowing home runs, when Drew Jameson settles in, when Ryan Nelson settles in. And then eventually when Brandon Fott gets the big league call up from AAA, Zach Allen is going to be there to help solidify and help calm that rotation. He's now the veteran presence. Zach Allen right now is getting paid $745,600. Not, not be, not, he's pitching a lot better he's, than he's that. He's pitching like he's worth what Luis Castillo just got, which will be close to $22 million a year. Zach Allen has three years of arbitration left ahead of him. 2023, 2024, 2025. Here's the snag. And I think you know exactly where I'm going with this. Zach Allen is a Scott Boris client. How much money he tries to get out of the Diamondbacks will be interesting. But you want to avoid having to move off of him to avoid paying him. Yes. The Diamondbacks need to pay Zach Allen. They need to. And... Unfortunately, we've seen players like I think Paul Goldschmidt is one where they just didn't want to pay him. J.D. Martinez, they didn't want to pay him. Cattell Marte is really the only significant signing outside of Madison Bumgarner that has been paid a lot. And that one is such a team-friendly deal, too. Yes, yes. So I think this is the time for at least this organization and the front office to finally say, all right, we want to build a winning culture like we did in the early 2000s. Let's do it. Let's sign our guy for the future because, again, I don't think there's been a pitching prospect like Gallon in this organization that has proven at the MLB level that he is here to stay and he can be an ace since Brandon Webb. So they need to pay him. I, I think that that is that's got to be priority number one for this organization is keep Zach Gallon. Then you go to the outfield and making sure they stay happy, get paid, and mm -hmm. so forth. I mean, you could make the argument they don't need to do anything with the outfield right now. You're pretty set when you yes. have Alec Thomas, Corbin Carroll. I think it's clear that now Darton Varsho is a much better outfielder than he will be a catcher. And even Stone Garrett, I'm forgetting somebody else. Jake too. McCarthy. Jake McCarthy. Oh, how could I have forgotten Jake McCarthy? So you have, yeah, you have your outfield is set right there. You're done. Even, even if Garrett's maybe going back and forth between AAA Reno and I, such. See, I don't even want that. You want him on the team. I want him on this team. And I think with the DH, that also helps. Exactly. And because he's the only right-handed hitter of the four, of the five of them. Right. So he's going, because they love to do this platoon thing, he's going to be the guy that gets a lot of the left-handed attention. But also he allows some of the guys that are most likely to get the most playing time. And at this rate, it might look like McCarthy, Carroll, 
and Varsho are going to get the most playing time, he gives them a chance for a day off. Alec Thomas is the defensive option that allows one of the other five to be the DH. I I think the outfield is set. And I made the argument a few weeks ago that they should handle Corbin Carroll like Seattle did with Julio Rodriguez. I agree that there needs to be more seen from Carroll, but he's definitely proving that he's going to be a valuable piece for them. The same is with Zach Gallen. And this is now the second contract that the Mariners have extended that the Diamondbacks need to follow this model. And they need to follow it really now yeah, when it's when the, it's going to be more affordable to them. And I, I think the thing with Luis Castillo is over the couple of years, he's actually proven he's really good with the Cincinnati Reds. He's put up some solid seasons. Zach Allen had a really good rookie season. Then he had 2020 where it wasn't as great, but it wasn't Here, great for there. Everybody. He wasn't fully he, healthy. And then 2021, it was the worst season for all the Diamondbacks players. He, he was here and up. there, wasn't fully healthy, et cetera, et cetera. So you're maybe thinking this front office is going to say, okay, let's go to next season. If he continues to put up production at a Cy Young award-winning level, because I think there is no doubt he is within the top five currently in the National League, then that might be time to look at paying him. But at the same time, Gallon might get upset. He might start, I don't, I don't want to say holding out, but he might not just want to play because he's just not getting paid what he deserves. So Madison Bumgarner is owed up to $23 million next year. That's already a massive chunk on the payroll. Merrill Kelly is going to make eight. Cattell Marte is going to make 11. Nick Ahmed is going to make 10. Mark Melanson is going to make six. Ian Kennedy has a club option that might get declined. And then Zach Davies has a mutual option, but it's only for 1.5. So it won't count against much. I feel like this is the year that you can pay him and you can get away with paying him a lot less early on because you're stuck with this terrible Mad Bum, Mad Bum contract and then backload his contract towards the end. When you've already got other guys taken care of. Yeah, it, it just it, it seems like everything's right. But just with the way how this organization has moved in the past with players, it just doesn't seem like it seems like they're very hesitant to try to throw all the money at a player until they've proven something. And even with the like Cattell Marte, he didn't get his money until 2021. And even then, he started showing decline in numbers. So... Who knows? Maybe they'll give him an extension this offseason, but a very, very, I'm assuming they're going to wait. I'm afraid that they're going to wait, too, and I don't want them to. I think they have they have lightning in a bottle. They need to put a cap on it. Yep. Coming up next. Call me crazy. But tomorrow could be a masterclass performance by the Cardinals defense. Why is next on Arizona Sports Saturday? 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch Varelvis, Zach Larson filling in for Steve Zinsmeister, Trevor Henry behind the glass. It was about an hour more of the two of us. Well, three of us. About an hour more. We will bring you the final transactions for the Arizona Cardinals before this Sunday's game when they come down sometime in the 1 p.m. segment. But for right now, I have a tinfoil hat on, let's say. Okay. This is going to be the game that the Cardinals defense shows up. All right. 
That's that's this a, this that's feels prime for the right taking. There. I just think and this is based off of a lot of the stuff that we've read and a lot of the stuff that Burns and Campo have talked about this week about how the offensive line for the Rams really misses Andrew Whitworth. It's not that Joe Noteboom's been bad, but we saw what Von Miller did to him. And then on the opposite side, Austin Jackson on the right side has not fared well for the Rams quite to the level that they want him to. J.J. Watt, it only took two plays for him to get his first sack. And I think he has the opportunity to do that again because Stafford's probably going to play a little bit safer, a little more conservative. The dude's already got, as you said, five interceptions on the year. Granted, the defense has not shown how good it can be, and we're talking about the reigning Super Bowl champs. Yes. But I'm also thinking about Byron Murphy's performance against Devontae Adams last week. Only two catches. And he wasn't targeted a whole bunch either. The only thing on that note, and I'll say this, I noticed in the first half for sure, Josh McDaniels geared up that game plan to go after Jace Whitaker. There was no doubt in my mind. I, I mean, I think it was uh, Nico Collins was the receiver for the Raiders. He had like eight mm, receptions that's on the right, first yeah. two drives. So I think Byron Murphy, yes, he's the best corner on the field. And I think he did a great job against Devontae Adams. Only two catches in the ball game. One was a touchdown, but it was at the one yard line and it was inevitable. But right. you're going to have him go up against Cooper Cup, who's going to line up all over the field. And I have a feeling that he's going to bring enough eyes to the point that the secondary is going to have some trouble with Allen Robinson, Tyler Higby, some of the other receivers on this Rams offense. Well, so, yeah, I guess that would be it. However, the other caveat is what are they getting from Trayvon Mullen? This is likely game number. He's not on the injury report anymore. Right. He is designated as active as far as we're aware. Could he be the guy that makes a difference just as much as Byron Murphy was? We figure we figure that Matt Stafford's going to target Cooper Cup a lot. Yes. That's his number one receiver. I also figure that Stafford is going to go underneath a lot to Tyler Higby because, as we've seen in the past, this defense has a hard time covering tight ends. Amen to that. And Tyler Higby has 20 targets on the year in yeah. two games. Yeah, so I think you're definitely going to have Simmons or Collins try to play up on Higby. Oh, goodness. So then you're looking at like, okay, Allen Robinson against Trayvon Mullen. So there you go. You have a receiver that everybody going into the season thought was going to be like this amazing player. Had a good game against the Falcons, but in week one was absolutely shut down by the Bills. That's the other thing, too. That week one matchup for the Bills defense against the Rams offense— I mean, there it was no contest. Like the Rams had no chance. Exactly. The Bills' defense is just superior to, in many ways to every team in the league, yeah. really. And for the Falcons, even though their defense gave up the 28 points like it was nothing to start the game, they did come back and shut down the Rams' offense. And I'm not saying that if the Cardinals win this game, they're going to win it exactly like they did against the Raiders because there's just no way that's ever going to happen. But I think... Los Angeles is going to have to continue to push that foot on the pedal even when they get 
a lead or if they get a large lead early on, like Tyler mentioned, the Cardinals are going to have to score quick to stay in the ball game. Right. I don't think the Rams are going to allow what happened last week against the Falcons and what happened with the Raiders. They're not going to allow the Cardinals to claw back in. And a big part is if this offense can get rolling quick. I wonder, too, if the defense can get rolling quick. They've had a touchdown scored against them in the opening drive in now consecutive games. Going back to week one against the Chiefs where the yes. Cardinals are like, nah, we don't want the ball, you can have it. And going back to week two against the Raiders where they're like, nah, we don't want the ball, you can have it. If the defense can force the Rams to, I'll say, at mo- if they can force them to at, at most a field goal. I think that's fair. I will accept that. I, I, I will accept the Rams only getting a field goal on their opening drive. I would, that feels like a win. I would take that, especially just like you mentioned, how the first two games the opening drive has gone. I think if you can get pressure on Matthew Stafford, you you will have a field day if you're the Arizona Cardinals defense. Agreed. The only thing, though, is that, okay, you have J.J. Watt, Marcus Golden. He hasn't looked terrific so far. You're down that, Ezekiel Turner now, too. Yep, they yep. did elevate Devon Kennard, so maybe he helps maybe, in a way. Maybe, maybe. Also... I read a stat the other day that only about, I think it's five or 15 snaps have been taken by the first three draft picks from this class. Two oh, of yeah. them being Myjay Sanders and Cameron Thomas. I thought these and two. Trey was, McBride only had one. Yeah. Yes. So these two guys were supposed to be like the big pass rush. Like we're going to. That's that's what I've loved about the Arizona Cardinals <laughs> over the past couple of years. They've told us, oh, yeah, Zavin's going to be the starter week one. And then it's the Jordan Hicks game. Yep. All season long. Oh, yeah. We have our two pass rushers. We're really going to rely on them. Yeah. No, it doesn't matter. Although I will say credit to Zavin. He has. He, stepped he had 96 percent of the snaps in week one and week one. We just kind of. Try to forget about it. It was miserable. But in week two, he had a really good performance in week two. Steve Keim on with Burns and Gamble yesterday, the general manager of the Cardinals. What has been the difference for Zavin from last year to this year? I think just comfort in the scheme. I mean, he's always been a guy that can play fast, can play downhill, is physical. But again, a lot of times rookies they like to think too much. And, um, you know, it's pretty easy when you had a guy uh, like Jordan Hicks who knew the system inside and out as good as the, probably the coaching staff that, you know, was able to capitalize upon that. But Zavin Collins has been exceptional. I mean, he has been physical. Again, he gives us that downhill presence. He's fast. He's done good things in coverage. He'll continue to make some mistakes, but he is making them full speed. So now I'm starting to wonder if the Cardinals made the right decision all along in drafting him, but it just took him a year. But if that's the case, why did it take him a year if he's a first-round talent? I mean, if he's a first-round talent, yes, you expect every player to just jump into it. But again, Zavin came from Tulsa. It's not the biggest school in the world. He didn't play against the biggest opponents in the world. So there is that easing into the NFL level and playing against, getting some of that confidence against some of these big teams like the Rams, the 49ers, Seahawks in your division. I think especially like this season playing against the Raiders and if he would have been the one that forced the fumble, the first fumble that Renfro had in overtime and the Cardinals got that, I think that would be a massive confident booster for Collins. Mm -hmm. But I also think that luckily Isaiah Simmons said, hey, I'm going to just do the same thing. And they scored a touchdown. I think for both of those guys, because I think both of them are very close to each other. Of course, they have their names just linked. But you just hear them talk about each other in some of the press conferences. And they just they know each other so well that when one of them is playing well, the other one is going to step up and try to match or be better than the other one. 
That's what I'm hoping to see, too. Aside from that, I'm also hoping to see more of Isaiah Simmons. Yes. Not like just, physically, but just like snap count yes, wise. Yes. Uh, the big conversation, if you missed it, he had 15 snaps in the game against the Raiders. And of course, that became a point of conversation all week. Uh, Steve Keim yesterday with Burns and Gamble, he said that no doubt that Simmons has desert, has earned the right to be out there more after his performance on Sunday. Sometimes schematically when you face certain teams, you know, he was a guy at Clemson that, that sort of plays that unicorn position like we'd have, where it's like he's all over the place. And sometimes those guys, because of their lack of um, experience in certain areas, whether it's in the box or with their eyes or playing downhill, they just need some more uh, experience in that area. But, but for Isaiah, again, to me, it's, it's like put your best 11 out there and put the guys out there who are going to make plays. And in my opinion, there's no doubt that he's earned the right to be out there some more. See, the only thing that I have to say to that is that if he's so versatile, how do you not have one spot on 11 players on the field for Isaiah Simmons to play against the Especially defense? Especially if he's, the, as to your point, the versatility. If yes. he's supposed to quell some of the lacking positional depth, yeah, why isn't he out there? So I think there's more to that story that I think we're all kind of assuming he got benched. And yeah, luckily, though, he is that special type of talent that, when he stepped onto the field for that overtime possession, he said, I need to make a play. I need to get back into the groove of things. He forced the fumble with a great hit on Renfro. And I think I think Simmons is back in the starting lineup, hopefully. I, I would hope so too. And I think he made one of the he made probably the play of the year for right now. And there's two elements to it. One, it's the forcing the fumble, and the other is the picking up and taking it all the way to the house. But as of right now, that's got to be a confidence-boosting play for Isaiah, and hopefully that turns into a grand performance uh, for him and the entire defense Sunday against the Rams. Coming up next, Suns training camp. It's just around the corner. However, who is going to be there has become a rather important question. We'll explain next on Arizona Sports Saturday. 98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station. It's Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch Farrell, this is Zach Larson and Trevor Henry behind the glass here on this Arizona Sports Saturday. Uh, we are in the midst of Aaron Judge watch, and it seems like every time a Yankee hits a home run nowadays, it's not Aaron Judge. Yes. Uh, which is your clue as to Aaron Judge does so far not hit a home run today. Even worse, for anybody that's paying attention to the Triple Crown watch, he has now fallen back behind Xander Bogarts for the league lead of batting average. As a result, still has there's still time. There's still time. But Judge is hitless today. He does have one walk. Uh, As far as the score itself, the Yankees are now up seven five on an Anthony Rizzo two run home run. So, yeah, everybody's hitting a home run against except for Judge, apparently. So unfortunate. There's your Judge update. I want to start real quick with this tweet I just saw from everybody's good guy, Espo at Espo on Twitter, Greg Esposito. Jay Crowder is like Ikea furniture. Great when you're starting out in a new phase, but eventually you upgrade it to something more reliable. Hmm. Now, why am I reading that tweet? The reason is yesterday, our intrepid Suns reporter, Kellen Olson, who works and writes fantastic stuff for us at ArizonaSports.com, recently noted that Jay Crowder has, he's done it again, I guess we can say. He's been a little, he's been vocal on Twitter this offseason. And this last tweet, you're not going to be able to find it. The only way you're going to be able to find it is from this story that Kellen posted last night. 
Dwayne Rankin, who writes for AZ Central, tweeted out, it was a link to his story. There's going to be plenty to watch in Suns training camp. One, team vibe amid Robert Sarver backlash. Two, DeAndre Ayton's mindset. Three, will Jay Crowder or Cam Johnson start? Four, Dario Sharch's return from injury. Five, Chris Paul's rest. Camp starts Tuesday. And then a link to his story. Quote tweeted by Jay Crowder. 99 won't be there. And I'm just thinking, oh, great. Yep. Here we go. It's another another thing the Suns have to worry about this offseason. Now, that tweet has since been deleted, but the internet lives forever. And I'm starting to wonder, is Jay Crowder legitimately not going to show up to training camp? And how does this affect this year's Suns team? What do you think? I think, I do think Crowder is likely expecting himself to be moved by the Phoenix Suns front office. And I think... He's been such a big part of the Suns bouncing back over the past couple seasons. He's been, I wouldn't say that bully player on the team, but when they need someone to fire up their team and, you know, sacrifice their own playing time, he's been the one to get into altercations to fire up the team and to get the Suns back into a rhythm. And I think hearing the news of these Jazz trade that broke down, we'll mention that in a second, Mm -hmm. and also Cam Johnson also appearing to be in the talks of a contract extension, he likely will become the starting power forward just for might, this team. Yeah. And I think Jay Crowder is just openly here admitting like, hey, I'm not happy with it. So I I think I think it's just a culmination of things and Crowder is just hoping that, you know, he can just continue to play basketball, but if it's with the Phoenix Suns, then he's okay with it. So I think what sticks out to me from Espo's tweet, and it's a, I think it's a pretty good analogy Reliable. There's something that has been lacking from Jay in specifically this past year in the postseason, and that's just a failure to make a basket. Well, yeah, he chucks up a three every time, and you're just like, oh, this isn't going in. And he makes one, and you're like, oh, it's nice. It's the hashtag experience. Yes. And this, I'm trying to say this that doesn't sound disrespectful for to Jay, but it we're we're kind of being disrespectful to Jay right now. Let's be honest. He was a big piece of the upheaval of this team being a contender in the postseason and making it all the way to the finals. There is no doubt about that. Jay was incredibly crucial to this process. Yes. But now when they need him more than ever, he's not been there. He He's, he's very much the D of 3 and D, but there's no 3. And when you have no 3 on a team that has desperately needed scoring output outside of Devin Booker and Chris Paul, you become... A liability. Yeah, again, and his personality, it, it helped out in the very beginning, and it was such an integral part. And it's just like some of the other players that have come through the franchise. I mean, I think of Kelly Oubre. He's one of the big pieces mm-hmm. that really helped this franchise turn around and get its new identity. But at the same time, this is a business, and Jay Crowder offensively isn't putting up the production that say a Cam Johnson could and has the potential to, and Johnson is also still just younger than Crowder. So it's unfortunate, but again, it, it's the business side of things that is making Jay Crowder a little upset. Which I guess is fair. And he's heard his name a lot this offseason. He's made it clear this offseason that, well, I guess I won't say clear, but he's dropped hints that he'd be happier elsewhere, yes. it sounds like. Uh, One of those elsewhere places might have actually been a former team of his, the Utah Jazz. The Suns 
something that was confirmed yesterday by Gambo is that the Suns were in talks to try and acquire Boyan Bogdanovich. That was true. What apparently was also true as to why that trade didn't happen, in case you didn't know, Boyan Bogdanovich is now a member of Trev's team, the Detroit Pistons. The reason for why all of that broke down between the Suns and Jazz was because of power forward Jared Vanderbilt, who, if you're not sure who Vanderbilt is, he's three-fifths of the way of completing the Northwest Division uh, round-tripper. He's been a member of the Denver Nuggets, the Minnesota Timberwolves, now the Jazz, so he's just missing the Trailblazers and the Thunder. But Vanderbilt has a controllable and a very team-friendly deal. He plays a position of need for the Suns, which is power forward, and he's very strong defensively. So it makes a lot of sense as to why this didn't end up happening in their favor. Right. Bringing it, and, and that's, again, another reason why Jay Crowder is a little upset. He has competition that would have been brought in. Also, probably would have been. He probably would have the been the big trade sent yeah. back. Yeah. So I, I just I think. Vanderbilt would have been a great addition. So would Bogdanovich would have been a great addition. But at the same time, again, I still even back to the Kevin Durant trade talks, I still love the core of this Suns team. I just think there there's small little places to improve. And I think Bogdanovich and Vanderbilt would have taken care of Crowder's lack of offensive production. Maybe even Landry Shamit too. Exactly. So I, I think it's unfortunate that trade didn't go down, and it's unfortunate that it's also maybe a factor as to why there is some unhappiness within uh, Jay Crowder's camp. So now we're just going to be watching for media day. Is Jay Crowder going to be there? Is Jay Crowder going to speak to the media? Is Jay Crowder going to even be a practice? These are now all the questions that we're going to be asking about this team. And even outside of that, there's so much more to be asking about this team. Like, is DeAndre Ayton happy? We haven't heard from him this offseason. We had the interview from ESPN's Mark J. Spears. But outside of that, we haven't really heard much about him. Like, he was on his way to another team, yep. basically. And the Suns swooped in and were like, nope, we're going to keep him. Is and he I, happy here? I, I, I think, especially when you get paid, I think that's the difference. I think it was the entire offseason for DeAndre Ayton was, okay, the Suns don't want to pay me. And so the Pacers came calling, and then immediately the Suns said, okay, we want to pay you. So I think there might have been some hard feelings within the negotiating process, but at the end of the day, I think Aiton's happy, uh, again, unlike Crowder. But <laughs> it should. I, I think we're going to see a positive DeAndre Aiton. I don't think he's the type of person or personality to let something like that bother him and bother his play. I would hope not. Um, other news from the Suns today before we wrap up this segment and then on the other side, we'll talk Cardinals. Uh, they finalized their camp roster today. They announced the signing of Frank Jackson, who we had seen reported earlier was signed to a non-guaranteed deal. And then also Timothy Luau Cabarro. I hope I pronounced that right. That it's, sounds right. It's very French. Um, he has also been signed as a training camp body. So they now have all the players that they will head into training camp with. So, Wow. Media day. Yeah. This upcoming week for the Suns. We're, we're just about about time for basketball. It feels like just yesterday we were pissed off about them getting blown out by the Mavericks. I still am. That feels it's <laughs> a good point. We still are upset about that. October 19th. It's Here revenge it time. Here it comes. Coming up next, the Arizona Cardinals against the Los Angeles Rams this Sunday. We'll get you those final transactions when they come to us next on Arizona Sports Saturday.